Romans 5, 1 through 11 is the text that we'll be looking at today as we continue our series on the book of Romans. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, I want to focus on peace this morning, verse 1 of this new section of Romans 5. I did an internet search for the word peace And I was given two definitions. The first definition tells us that peace is freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquility. So think of your favorite place, the beach, maybe not this weekend here in Biloxi, uh, but the beach on a quiet day. Uh, The beach, the the mountains maybe, a place where there's no stress, no worries or anxiety, just relaxation. That's the first definition of peace, a sense of tranquility and relaxation. The second definition of peace that that came uh, from my internet search was freedom from or the cessation of war or violence. Now certainly, we would love to see peace in our world, in places like Syria and the Middle East and various countries in Africa, just to name a few places where wars are raging at the moment. Well, these two definitions of peace come into play as we think about what Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Think of it this way. One cannot enjoy the first definition of peace, say, uh, tranquil day at the beach or in the mountains when you're in a war zone. You know, if you're at the beach and they're dropping bombs all around you, that's not going to make you feel tranquil and it's not going to be tranquil. It's going to be violence and war. Well, Today, as we enter this new section of the book of Romans where Paul begins to discuss the results and implications of justification by faith in Jesus Christ, Paul has been explaining to us the only way sinful people, such as we all are, can be declared righteous when we're not. 
only through faith in Christ's work as a substitute in our place. That's why the therefore is there in verse 1. He's, he's reflecting on everything that's gone before. And he's been explaining to us how a person can be justified by Christ. It's not by works, not by the law, not by religious ceremonies. It's through faith in what Christ has done for us. That's the only way that we can be justified by God. Declared right, accepted by God. Well, as we read these first 11 verses, Paul begins to describe for us the results of that justification. What are the results of us being in a right relationship with God? Well, there are at least six mentioned here in this passage, and today I want to look at the first one. Peace with God. Peace with God means what that second definition of peace says. It means that we are no longer at war with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you'll notice that verse 1 says that we have peace with God. Not simply peace. He doesn't say Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The meaning of the verse, if we took out the of God, would change dramatically. He's not saying here that being justified by faith leads to a sense of inner tranquility. That may be the case, but that's not what he's saying here. But what he is saying is that being justified by faith leads to a cessation of hostilities between the believer and God. The believer is no longer at war with God, no longer his enemies. Now, some people might say, well, I, I didn't realize that me and God were at war, that we were enemies. Well, if we just back up and look at Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, we'll see that that's what he's been talking about this whole time. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's talking about these unrighteousness, that we're all naturally unrighteous. Therefore, we are all naturally under the wrath of God. We are subject to his just punishment. We look at chapter 3, verse 10 and following. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Now, anyone who takes a, a realistic assessment of, their, of his or her life will recognize this fact that we're unrighteous, particularly when you examine your life in reference to God's law, the Ten Commandments. For example, if we just randomly took a few of those and thought about it, uh, have you ever valued anything more than you value God? Of course you have. We all have. Well, then we've broken the first commandment. Have we ever used God's name, taking it up to no end? That just, that's not simply referring to saying a, a curse word. 
We've prob we probably broke that commandment while we were singing hymns this morning. We've taken up God's name on our lips. We're supposed to be singing to him, but, you know, whose mind wandered? And who sang and really didn't think about what they were saying? You think of it this way. If, if you had a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or a spouse say, you know, I, I love you so much and I admire you so much, I have written a song and I want to sing it to you to express my love and adoration of you. And when they start singing it, they kind of sing it half-hearted and, you know, they stop singing halfway through or really don't put any kind of effort into it. You wouldn't feel worshipped or loved, would you? Well, we're here to sing to God, to express our worship to God, and when we, you know, do it half-heartedly or without thinking much about it, it's empty and hollow. It's vain. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's just an example uh, have you ever hated anyone? I think we can all say that yes, we have. Have you ever lusted after anyone? Or rebelled against your parents? Or really wanted something that wasn't yours? Well, those are all the Ten Commandments and we've broken it. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of all of it. So yes, we're unrighteous, every one of us. People don't like to hear that nowadays. They don't want to be accused of being sinners. I'm not a sinner and I don't need anyone to save me. Yes, you are. According to God's word, according to God's standards, you're a sinner. So, in reference to God's kingdom, his rule, we are enemies of the state. We have committed treason against God as we prayed in the prayer of confession. We are treasonous because we have thrown aside his laws and his rules and like rebels we have gone our own way. We formed our own government with us as the king. And the Bible tells us that in doing so we have actually aligned ourselves with the devil. And we are children of the devil. Well that's what Adam and Eve did, didn't it? Isn't it? They had the command of God, the words of God. You know, you can eat of any of these trees. I've blessed you with this beautiful garden and all the animals and so many blessings. One thing, don't eat of that particular tree. Satan comes along and he says, oh, you don't need to pay attention to God. You can go eat that tree and it'll, it'll go well for you. So they had a choice. Do I listen to God or do I listen to Satan? And they listened to Satan. They ate the forbidden fruit, and we have reaped the consequences of it in our own sinful lives. See, 1 John chapter 3, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So that's a, that's a pretty harsh truth to come to face to face with, that we are enemies of God. We are at war with God if we, you know, just naturally as human beings. And what Paul is saying in this passage in Romans 5, is that once a person stops trying to earn his salvation through his own merits 
and places his trust in the one sent by the Father to deal with the enmity between us, then the war is over. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we we be saved by his life. So he, he recognizes that, yes, we were enemies, but through faith in Christ, that enmity is over. The war is over. We are on God's side again. We have been, as he said, reconciled. He uses that word several times in this passage. And peace with God and reconciliation are very much aligned with one another. Reconciled is an important word here in this passage. Now we use that word in, in everyday life. You know, maybe uh, us who are Christians, you know, we, we know that word and we've heard that word. It's part of the religious vocabulary that we use. But we also use that word in everyday life. In one sense, increasingly so. In one sense, decreasingly so. First example, we use it when we're balancing our checkbook. If you balance your checkbook anymore. A lot of people don't bother balancing your checkbook. But we want our checkbook to be reconciled, we say. We get a bank statement from the bank, and the bank says, you've, you know, all these checks have gone through, and you have this amount of money in your account. And so you look at your ledger that you've written, and you say, well, yes, that's cleared, that's cleared, and these are outstanding, and so I'm trying to make what I've got in my records agree with what the bank has in its records. We want agreement between the two. That's what it means to be reconciled. Agreement between my checkbook and the bank's bank statement that they have processed. Reconciliation. Because of sin, there is disagreement between humans and God. The two parties are at odds, like my checkbook usually is with the, church, with the, the bank statement. There's no reconciliation. We're at odds, even enemies. But Christ is the mediator between God and man, restoring human fellowship with God through his life, death, and resurrection. What is at odds through Christ is brought together, reconciled. See, God loves his people so much that he provided, he provided this way of reconciliation, even though he is the one who is the offended party. Verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that wonderful? We're at odds with God. We're the ones who offended God. Yet he is the one that makes the effort to reconcile us to himself. He loves us and he wants to have that relationship with us. So another example of how we use that term reconciled is, is not as positive Uh, But sadly, we use it in reference to divorce. Couples get divorces because of irreconcilable differences. Which means the relationship has so deteriorated, uh, the, the spouses are so at odds with one another, that there is just no possibility that the two can be reconciled, that they can be brought back together in fellowship, brought back into agreement. 
Now, in the case of humans in, in reference to God, the offense is all on one side. We're, we're the bad spouse in this marriage with God. God is the perfect husband, but as the picture we get in, in Hosea, his people sometimes are the adulterous wife, and the world at large naturally is at odds with God. So humans are estranged from God, having offended him over and over again. Now, thinking that you can earn God's favor by your works is kind of like uh, a, a, an adulterous spouse saying, well, I know I have been unfaithful to you, but I've been faithful to you more than I've been unfaithful to you. Would that make you feel better (laughs) if you were the spouse? Well, six days of the week I'm faithful to you, but only one day do I cheat on you. And so my faithfulness outweighs my unfaithfulness. That's the way people think about their relationship with God. Well, when I die, my goods are going to outweigh my bads. My faithfulness, you know, I, I do these things. I go to church. I'm a good moral person, etc., etc. They outweigh these bad things over here. My friends, all sin is unfaithfulness to God. It's spiritual adultery against God. But thankfully... Though it would seem that we have a case here of irreconcilable differences between God and man, God has made a way. God has made a way for there to be reconciliation. The death and life of Christ is what reconciles a person with God, not our works. Just think about this for a moment. He freely credits you through faith in Christ with having never been unfaithful to him. That's what it means to be justified by faith. Even though you have been adulterous to the Lord, when you put your faith in Christ, what God sees is a faithful spouse. Not based on your faithfulness, but based on Christ's faithfulness. It's credited to you. He sees someone who's never offended me in Christ. Him in Christ. That's the good news of salvation that Paul's been proclaiming to us here in Romans 5. Well, we've been talking about objective peace. You know, you're either at war with God or you're not at war with God. You know, you know when you're in a war or not. There's bombs dropping, etc. People are fighting with one another. You have an enemy. But we were also talking about that first definition of peace, which is more subjective. How do I feel? Do I feel at peace or not at peace? You know, when I'm sitting on the beach, you know, uh, relaxing and with not a care in the world, yes, there's a sense of tranquility and peace there, but it's subjective. It's, it's me. It's something inner and in, in, in what I feel. Well, if we know peace with God through Christ that I've just been talking about, then we can have that first definition of peace a sense of inner tranquility. In Philippians, the Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. He's talking about a a sense of peace that we have. But it's based upon the fact that we are no longer enemies with God. That objective peace gives us subjective peace. 
And you cannot have subjective peace without having objective peace. Or you cannot have a sense, an inner sense of peace unless you do genuinely have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now I know someone who said that they believed that they were going to heaven. They were, on a, uh, uh, they were in a dangerous situation and you know, their life was in peril, it was out of their control and they said, I just had this sense of peace wash over me. So I know when I die I'm going to be alright. All that that person has is some subjective experience. They're not looking to the objective fact that Christ has done something for them to solve the war that they have with God. They're just looking to some subjective experience. No, the first thing that we must focus on is the experience of what Christ has done to reconcile us to God, to enjoy that peace. Then we can understand what it means to have true peace inwardly, the peace that passes all understanding that Paul refers to in Philippians 4. Well, just in conclusion, two, two applications to two groups of people. If you don't know this peace with God that we're talking about here, that Paul's discussing here in verse 1, then you do face the wrath of God. And Jesus is the only one who can deliver you from the wrath to come. There's going to be a day of judgment where we stand before God. No one will be excluded. And the only thing that will save you is whether you have trusted in Christ to save you or not. So I want to challenge those people to put your faith in Christ, to look to him for salvation, to flee the wrath to come, as John Bunyan puts it in Pilgrim's Progress, and I will commend that book to you as well. Then the second uh, application here is if you do know this peace, if you... If you are a believer today in Christ, but if you forget it or don't appreciate what verse 1 is telling you, then it will affect the way that you live out your Christianity. I, I, I want to dwell on what this passage means, not just so you can, I can fill your mind with theological knowledge. What I'm trying to do is to get us all to see, myself included, that when we think about what the, the astounding nature of what Christ has done for us, that will fuel our, first of all, our holiness. You know, if we think about it, God has been so gracious to us. Look at what he's done for us. We are the offending party and he's reached out to us. And as you think about that, it should cause you to say, that I don't want to be unfaithful to him. I want to live my life under his rule. I want to submit to this king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I want him to be the one who calls the shots in my life. See, when you forget it, you don't appreciate what Christ has done for you, then, you know, you're happy with a certain level of morality and, and religious uh, experience and, you know, practices, and, but you will never press on to, to further sanctification. See, it fuels our holiness. And also, if we forget what Christ has done for us, it will affect us when trials come, when troubles come into our lives, whether they're, you know, struggling with diseases 
uh, whether it's interpersonal relationships or family problems that we have. You know, all of us are going through something. If you forget that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, you're apt to start thinking, what have I done to deserve this? Why is God mad at me? But if you know the fact that Christ, he, through Christ, he's not mad at you anymore. He, he's not hating you. He, he is not against you. He is not your enemy anymore. But he's, he's mentioned it, and we'll talk about this at a later date, but he mentioned in the passage about the trials. Trials bring endurance. God has a purpose through these trials. We have to remember that it's not because he's angry at us. It's not because he's at war with us that we have these trials. He's using them for our good and his own glory. Sometimes that's hard to understand. We'll discuss it more later. But it's important for us to remember that. We're going to sing now a hymn. It is well with my soul, and it's, the words are fantastic. And I'm sure after warning you that you shouldn't sing anything to God, that we'll sing it at the top of our lungs. But listen to the words. When peace, like a river, attends my way, you know, when, I'm, when everything's going well, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, when life is raging, whatever my lot, and this, these, this is actually the original lyrics, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, not say, you, you have taught me to know through passages like Romans 5.1 that it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Even though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Let's pray together. Father, we, we do thank you for the reassurance of your word. And I pray that everyone here today would know that, that they have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, grant faith to those who are lost. Grant a deeper faith to those who are reconciled to you. Lord, may it bolster us up in, in our lives so that we can live for your honor and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.